you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world raise $130 million in growth funding and can help you fast track product market fit and where relevant, the launch of your token economy. Today, I'm really happy to welcome Juan Benet, founder and CEO of Protocol Labs. Welcome, Juan. Thank you. Excited to be here. Juan, I've been a big fan of yours for a while. I think you've done possibly the best explanation of what is Web3 that I've heard at a speech you did at Web3 Summit back in 2018. And if people haven't already seen it, I highly recommend you just go put that into YouTube. Incredibly well articulated. And I think it it still holds right, even though we find ourselves now in, in 2021. So as I said, you're CEO of Protocol Labs, but of course, there's lots of other stuff around that, including IPFS and Filecoin. So I'm going to just very quickly try to unpack that. And please tell me if I've got something wrong, just so we can help orient the listeners. So Protocol Labs is creating a distributed permanent web. IPFS is the interplanetary file system, which is a hypermedia protocol. And then there's Filecoin, which is a cryptocurrency operated file storage network. And so Filecoin is the open source public cryptocurrency and digital payment system. It also allows for this kind of cooperative digital storage. And it is made by Protocol Labs and builds on top of IPFS, um, allowing users to rent unused hard drive space. Did I get it right? Yeah, mostly right. I think what I would uh, add is uh, Protocol Labs itself as a company is has like a broader mandate and mission. Uh, PL is hoping to start, grow, and support breakthrough computing projects. Um, our kind of long-term mission is to drive breakthroughs that are going to push humanity forward. We just happen to have to work on Web3 today because Web3 is one of the main areas of breakthroughs in the kind of interfaces between uh, computing and humans and society and so on. Uh, but, but we're starting to do a lot of work uh, outside as well. And uh, in the long term, we, we will likely um, kind of expand to, to other kinds of interfaces for, for, uh, for computing. Uh, and so it is. It is a, a an organization that is, you know, primarily working on a bunch of different projects uh, within Web three. So IPFS and Falcon are two examples. We also make things like uh, Lipir P, which is now the kind of the main networking layer for for blockchains. Um, we, you know, last year we shipped a we upgraded a protocol called DRAND, which uh, is a randomness beacon that is now kind of used by a number uh, of blockchains, including Falcon um, and so on. Uh, and yeah, I think like the relationship between IPFS and Pac, when you, uh, you got totally right. I think one way that I like thinking about it is IPFS is like HTTP and Falcon is like S3. So uh, you can think of the protocol for addressing and moving the data. Um, and that is, uh, all the IPFS layer. And then if you have some data that you want to store and back up and, and preserve long-term, uh, then you can hire Filecoin to, to store your data for you. Um, you have to weave some economic value when you kind of ask the network to store your data. Uh, and that's where the cryptocurrency comes in. And you can use all the incentive structures that Web3 give us to build mechanisms that can preserve the data long-term and can really make sure that um, you know, lots of parties coming in from all over the world um, can you know, preserve that and, 
and behave correctly and so on. Uh, so it's the whole, uh, you know, super interesting problem on how do you organize and assemble a robust uh, storage network uh, out of participants that are primarily you know, short-term self-interested, and you kind of want to create a, a a group of participants that now are super aligned with a with the outcome of the network and will be, you know, properly backing up people's storage uh, in the long term. Yeah, and of course the the market dynamics are an important part of making the network more performance. And I know this kind of hyper-localness is, is a really key point. I guess we'll get to that a little bit later, like what kind of use cases require or demand hyper-localness. Um, so Protocol Labs has been around since 2014. I mean, almost as long as I've been in crypto, you know. So it's certainly, you know, over seven years, is a kind of team project initiative that has had real longevity. And it's really interesting to hear you're looking even beyond, you know, where you are now. How many people are involved in, in Protocol Labs now? Well, so full-time PL is about 160 people. Um, but we work with uh, and interact with thousands of people across many different communities. So, you know, the Epifest community has, you know, many thousands of people. Uh, the Falcon community also has many thousands of people. There's high overlap, but, but they're distinct. And then we we just work with a lot of other projects, lots of small projects and, and communities. And so we're uh, even though you know kind of by um, most standards we're like a small to medium sized company, um, a lot of our of our interactions and structures are kind of like an organization in, in like many thousands. Uh, it's just that we're very collaborative and ecosystem oriented, and we'd we'd rather build uh, solutions and systems with uh, groups of organizations as opposed to just a single single organization. Yeah, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but um, there's almost a surprise announcement. I'm, I'm really happy to say that you've picked Outlier Ventures the, um, and Basecamp, the accelerator that we, we run here, to uh, help you in that ecosystem growth. So we will be running an ecosystem accelerator program for you. I believe that announcement happens imminently, um, and, we'll, and we'll talk about you know the kind of aspirations there and, and the kind of use cases you're seeing and growth you're seeing in ecosystem. But I'm really excited to be uh, working with you on on this next stage of the journey. Yeah, we're super excited about it too. Um, and one of the you know key things here is this year uh, is just like a a super exciting uh, year for a lot of different people to build new companies in Web three and, and especially using different kinds of uh, storage that that is now enabled by by Falcon. So Falcon launched. Last year, it enables now, uh, it has amassed uh, <laughs> exabytes of capacity and now that and dropped the cost of storage dramatically. So now there's all kinds of things that are now made possible. Um, there's also this you know, high connectivity to public data uh, that is now can be, that can, can be represented by blockchains and, and governed by blockchain systems. And it's an extremely fertile ground to build new companies and new organizations. So we wanted to, um, help a lot of these groups get started. And so if you're looking for a next thing or you're super interested in data and how groups of people interact with it or how programs interact with it, uh, now's a great time to, to build a project. And um, you can join up in, in prototyping things through hackathons. And then if, if one of those things can uh, has you know strong legs in, in terms of potentially building a really solid system or a solid product, um, then yeah, that's where the accelerators really come in and uh, can help you get from early kind of prototype to uh, a, a proper product that can be shipped to lots of people and can really help um, kind of push Web3 forward. Yeah, and of course, you know, what, what you've built within the combinations of technologies 
is is near universal. It's applicable to, as far as I'm concerned, every use case. And despite you know your amazing progress, it's still safe to say that a lot of the let's call, I don't know whether you would call it Web three ecosystem or blockchain ecosystem or crypto ecosystem, but a lot of the startups that are operating in the space because they're still using things like AWS kind of might not even be fully regarded as Web3, right? They're kind of more Web 2.5 because um, you can do all these things in a relatively decentralized way. But if you have this kind of dependency on something like AWS, can you can you be truly a Web3 startup? I don't know what you, your view is on that. Yeah, it's a good, good question. So I think um, there's a lot of kind of nuance uh, in, the, in, in here. I think on one part, it's the most important and fundamental thing is that the protocols that people use to engage with each other are verifiable and that no company or centralized party gains um, some undue uh, level of control over what people are able to do. So if a network uh, is launched that that can uh, model the interactions between all parties and makes them all verifiable, um, then you know it, it doesn't matter as much uh, that you know they are in um, fully uh, decentralized networks underneath the hood, as long as the broader protocol is decentralized. And that, that's over time creating kind of this progressive shift towards full decentralization in the stack. But I wouldn't kind of, um, yeah, I think, I think it really depends on how different applications do it. I think some do it better than others. Uh, some, some really are properly thinking through all the interactions and making sure they're verifiable and making sure that, um, you know, you can really trust the operation and that it's permissionless where other service providers can come in. Um, and they just uh, provide services through the kind of like typical Web2 cloud infrastructure because uh, because of convenience and, and simplicity to the user. Uh, you know, it turns out that it's dramatically difficult to um, actually shift most of the uh, of the computing platform that people are used to uh, when you think of how the browser, all the expectations from the browsers, the expectations from the um, CDN networks and, and the uh, load times that people expect with different kinds of applications they might use. Uh, and the app stores and the you know distribution into mobile and so on, um, Web three has to really push extremely hard to um, kind of veer the entire direction of computing on on the planet to this very different trajectory that is not in the best and best um, that it doesn't line up with with the interests of of the major data monopolies and so on, uh, which you know happen to control the a lot of the browsers and whatnot. So we end up in a spot where. Uh, a lot of the what people are trying and so on ends up being kind of smoother and easier if, if it you know in a lot of places it falls into reusing a lot of the you know infrastructure that people have built for the last twenty years, um, and that's fine as long as the verifiability and the, the proper mechanisms of the of the systems are you know trending towards uh, you know strong decentralization and and so on, and so I really see it as as this this progression. Um, a good example on on IPFS for this is uh, you know we built a. We knew early on that you know building a new protocol for distributing information that as a replacement for HTTP was going to be um, extremely difficult to get adoption for unless we found um, we used a, a straightforward bridge that helped browsers that today uh, use it. And so this is why we built a, a thing called the IPFS gateway, and the full name is the HTTP to IPFS gateway that enables you know stock standard browsers with no other protocols to you know interact with um, something that looks like an HTTP server in the background, um, and it you know feels feels natural and so on. But it, in reality, what's going on is that those requests are getting proxied over to uh, the IPFS network, and all the content is being pulled from IPFS nodes and and so on. So it's like it serves as a 
as a as a um, connector and adapter uh, to this sort of brave new world. And I think there's a lot of things right now getting built that way, um, and probably will continue doing so until we can deliver the same level of um, you know computational efficiency that the current cloud does. So, um, as an example, it would be you know think of the um, unit economics and the developer experience of a platform like uh, you know Amazon EC2 or Lambda or you know Google Cloud Compute and you know being able to ship Docker containers and run them and so on. That kind of experience has to arrive in a Web3 native way before people can truly build um, large-scale decentralized systems. Um, and there's also kind of a, a problem here around ease of, of doing this building. When you're designing mechanisms uh, directly that have some economic structures, and you're also kind of having to think about um, you know the hard distributed systems challenges of scaling the system and whatnot, just the the uh, difficulty of building a, a system in this in Web three just piles up, and so we need drastically better and more efficient um, computing systems in Web three before um, before we can get to you know, kind of like the sort of um, uh, the vision of uh, fully decentralized uh, services and applications that are running on fully decentralized and verifiable uh, platforms that you know you can just uh, where you can trust the system because you don't have to trust the individual participants running the running the software, running the services, and and whatnot. So the good news is that um, you know every I've been sort of tracking this for the last um, uh, five years or so, and uh, Web three is sort of growing on a pace of around you know ten x every year, which is Way slower than the social networks, but but it's still really fast, um, you know, relative to most other technological transitions. And uh, you know, 10x every year is not a is not a um, uh, you know, it, there's not that many orders of magnitude to uh, until you kind of get every everybody that's on the internet over. Um, and there's a bunch of different scalability cha challenges we'll have to break through uh, in the next you know, two three years to you know keep that up. So yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty optimistic. I think. Uh, one other effect that happens is there's a lot of groups that join Web3 and start working on one thing, and then they kind of get pulled in many different directions by many different opportunities and, and then end up reorienting and redirecting. So I've seen so many groups that started building consumer-oriented applications that are so desperately needed so that Web3 can, can you know, reach consumers uh, and you know, most day-to-day uh, -day, uh, use cases and applications. Uh, but then those teams end up kind of being lured by by DeFi or being lured by other things like that, and then end up kind of building more more and more financial infrastructure, which is super impactful and, and super valuable and, and super useful. Um, but it ends up kind of um, being used by you know the same set of parties or like a, uh, maybe an increased amount of parties, but it's not uh, the sort of broader set of consumers. Um, so I think until we get the ability to build a Super scalable social network. Um, you know, it's not going to reach um, the the broader mainstream, uh, at least not in, in, in kind of like a full application basis. Um, but I think uh, we'll, we'll start seeing like bits and pieces uh, here and there. I mean, one promising example is just how quickly um, NFTs went from kind of a, a an important implementation detail in um, you know the the forums of the Ethereum community and and kind of the the applications that people were, were building there and trying out to then being a worldwide phenomenon that now a lot of people um, know about and artists uh, care about and, and so on. And, and that happened even though most of these platforms and applications are not yet kind of able to be used by, by, uh, by most people. It just became kind of a, a, a wedge into um, 
into into broader use because there was a big driver uh, and an incentive for people to participate. Um, so yeah, I think we'll continue seeing things like that for the next few years until we really do get to that um, computing platform that uh, is fully verifiable. And there's a long road to that. And you you know for the way we look at it is decentralizing storage is uh, hard but uh, easy relative to decentralizing computing fully um, because decentralizing computing fully requires uh, you to solve uh, kind of uh, computational privacy questions and efficiency and and so on where where you, you end up in like this difficult area between um, you know if you, if you lean strongly towards uh, making everything verifiable and super private then it's not very efficient um, then if you try to make it efficient then you kind of either have to give on the privacy guarantees or verifiability guarantees and there are systems that, that can achieve all these things but um, people haven't wrapped these together in a in a good structure and framework that that maps to what people expect uh, when they're building systems in, in the web 2 space I sort of expect that this will happen in the next two three years and and uh, then we'll kind of It'll be a problem in the rearview mirror as opposed to uh, having to worry about it. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting take that you think, you know, we need a decentralized application at the scale of a social network to actually drive the infrastructure for a cloud 2.0. Because as you say, you know, the cloud is both storage and compute. So, of course, you're tackling the storage problem, but there's... Um, the compute side that needs to be solved for, and actually, it's the it's the use case that will drive the infrastructure in the same way that you know the cloud as the the cloud as we know it is often the byproduct of a successful Web two platform. Um, so I hadn't really thought of it that way. So that, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, the current cloud was built by you know search and you know powering uh, kind of the Google build out, and then by all of the you know the Amazon use cases for you know, building that you know massive internet store. Um, and the social networks, right? So you can you can look at all these companies building out their versions of clouds, you know, in the you know 2000 through 2010 era, um, and then after that, like the, those large companies then turned around and and um, took all of what they've learned in building that set of systems and then offered it as a service to to the rest of the world. Now I think um, the there's an enormous amount of things that you need to run, like small little programs that you need to run when you try to build a, a service of that scale and that magnitude. And it is basically um, extremely difficult to try and um, create a version where you're designing economic mechanisms and building smart contracts for all of that. Um, plus, you, you're going to get killed on the efficiency uh, part. So, so we need to arrive at a, at, a, at a computing platform that is as easy or ideally easier than what people are used to in Web2 um, before you know, the vast majority of projects that get started get started in Web3. Um, no, I think like there's a lot of challenges to get there, but but I'm super optimistic. Like every year over year, things are getting dramatically easier and, and more beneficial. Just the the toolkit of what people are able to do in, in Web three is um, just dramatically uh, superior in uh, in terms of you know what you can write in in the software uh, to the kind of Web two primitives. So um, from here, it's it's primarily a um, a an effort at you know, applying a bunch of the scaling techniques to to make you know the, the computational frameworks actually get there, um, and then from there, uh, I think building out a a high quality software deployment pathway. Like that's a whole other thing that I think the Web three community hasn't paid a lot of attention to. It you know, building good platforms requires thinking very carefully about deployment pathway for for the actual users, for, for like the developers that are using the product. Um, and I think once those things are start, starting start to emerge, uh, we'll see this massive kind of inflection point of 
of people uh, switching over. But it's, I think, pretty significant projects and startups to be built here uh, in, in solving some of these problems. They're basically, um, there's a number of groups working on them, but they're basically open still. And, um, and from my perspective, they're not that, um, uh, they're not that hard in hindsight, meaning um, they're the type of problem where uh, people with the, with the you know, right combination of the service systems knowledge and cloud infrastructure knowledge and blockchain knowledge could build a pretty compelling solution relatively quickly without a lot of code um, that then kind of becomes a very strong proof of concept. And then from there, they can use you know, leverage that into um, into really refining the product and, and describing how this could be this could be better. So yeah, I'm pretty hopeful of, of like where all this this is headed. And the way that we think about it is, you know, in the meantime, as, as these layers are are getting built, um, you know, Filecoin uh, has the you know this kind of lead start on just a, a organizing all of the all of the kind of available supply of uh, of hardware uh, to provide the storage um, for such networks and then make it, um, you know, organize it into a, a high quality service that then all of these different kinds of programs and services and systems can uh, can rely on to, uh, to to store their data. And there's a bunch of like super interesting things that that emerge once you are able to to couple kind of large scale data set uh, data sets with um, uh, kind of incentive structures and mechanisms in in, in blockchain. So things like um, doing um, building kind of uh, computation over data sets where you want to run some function over a data set, but you don't want to leak the data set to, to the end user. So you have this sort of like protected context where one party can bring the data and kind of sell access to the data to some other party that wants to, to run some computation over it. Um, then they, you know, they get to do that and get the output, but they, they, uh, uh you can kind of sort of check they're not exfiltrating, uh, exfiltrating the data. And, uh, you know, that creates a whole new kind of economic model for, um, what people can can do and can um, can benefit from in, in their use of use of data, and so that's uh, you know an example of a whole bunch of different kinds of use case, use cases that um, that are enabled by by you know mixing just the, the bare primitives of Web three with with a traditional cloud storage uh, construction. Uh, so it's super exciting! It's like a, every every couple of weeks I see new things that that um, that are that are super exciting and very promising. So. It'll be a really fun next two years. Yeah, and you know, of course, um, at Outlier, we've we've got several other protocols adjacent to this, or, or potentially, you know, a part of the stack that you, you the total stack that you, you kind of refer to there. You know, from Secret Network to to Ocean Protocol, especially around data data ownership. You know, to, to kind of carry out uh, computation in a way, as you said, it doesn't reveal underlying data or. Um, and I'd be really interested to get your take on how you think all that kind of comes together. But maybe for just to make sure we kind of sense check, because there, there may be some people that might not fully grasp exactly how Filecoin works. Could we just do like a quick one minute on on how the network works, the kind of mining components yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. And, and so maybe, maybe I'll start by just giving you a quick description of, of kind of how IPFS models the data and then, and then how Falcon comes in. So... IPFS is a protocol for addressing and moving um, data in a content address way. So this means uh, we use cryptographic hashes and in, in the same way that blockchains or Git um, to kind of address the, the information and, and make it verifiable and authenticated in a sense um, and move it around. And so that gives you this, this sort of mesh-like fabric where 
uh, all the nodes uh, in the FFS network can kind of um, provide content to other nodes, and you you can get the content from from anybody that, that can serve it to you. You don't have to go to a specific um, uh, service provider or a specific uh, server. So today, when you use standard HTTP in um, in, the, in a Web two context, and you go to a particular website, you know you go to maybe you know kind of like Instagram uh, as a uh, as a website, uh, and you try to look at a picture there. Only Instagram and the parties that Instagram authorizes can serve you that picture. And if you take that picture and put it in any other website, as far as the internet is concerned, that's a different picture. Um, and so this is this creates like this crazy inefficiency um, and and kind of lack of verifiability where those bits could change under the hood. Um, any any party that serves you this could be altering the data, um, and you also have to keep um, constantly connecting to them because you can't cache it forever because you you. You know, don't get like this um, verifiability or, or um, baked in and so on. Uh, so IPFS kind of does away with all with all of that and says, "Hey, um, information should be should in the on the internet should work more like books or paper, where once you get it, you can you know kind of uh, check it and verify it, and you can kind of uh, make copies of it locally. Uh, and as long as you can preserve this verification um, uh, authentication link." And you can't, you know, tamper with it. Then you can serve it to anybody else um, as well. And if you do that, then you kind of create a drastically more efficient way of moving around content and and a, and a more verifiable way to uh, to distribute applications and so on. That's kind of like what what IPFS is and what um, a lot of people are using it for, both uh, within Web three and and beyond. There's a lot of uh, groups using what, uh, IPFS uh, outside the the Web three context. So now with that, um, you know, once you are in this kind of peer-to-peer uh, -peer decentralized context of distributing data uh, in a content address way, one thing that would be super useful is to be able to kind of hire the network to store your data in kind of the standard uh, cloud storage sort of way. Uh, but it'd be great to be able to use cryptocurrency for, for that so that this can be kind of like a like an international borderless type of uh, interaction um, and so that you can uh, kind of weave programs into the equation so the programs themselves could hire storage and you didn't have to kind of associate it with a specific company, right? So today, if you want to hire lots of storage on the internet, you basically have to be a company somewhere or an entity somewhere that has a bank account and so on. It's kind of crazy that you know the internet sort of requires you to have all these legacy systems somewhere out there um, to enable you to actually use the 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 um, the cloud infrastructure. Um, and in reality, you know the the shift that you know got kicked off with Bitcoin and, and Ethereum and so many other um, networks is that now we have a proper internet native way of modeling economic value, building mechanisms that organize groups um, and kind of can enable that kind of transaction to happen in an internet native way. Now, on the other end, there's like this, okay, great. So you want to build a decentralized storage network that is cryptocurrency operated and, and so on. Uh, how do you do that? And so that's where kind of like the, the magic of Filecoin and, and how um, you know, it's a, a design that um, creates a, a kind of approaches this from a market perspective of saying in the cloud storage um, problem space, what you have is an area where on one side you have um, you, know, you have a two-sided market where in one place you have service providers. So think of um, you know storage providers that are bringing in hardware and uh, and labor and um, kind of good management of the of the operate network operations and so on, and they're providing the uh, storage systems in which your data and your application and so on are going to run. And on the other side are clients, uh, you know, kind of the the applications or the end users that want to use the underlying storage. And so that means 
they might hire the service providers to store their data, or they might pay the storage providers to, to deliver data to, to a particular user and so on. And you want to be able to kind of model all the range of interactions there um, in kind of a Web3 native way to, to kind of um, enable this to be kind of a proper um, market that, that has no kind of inbuilt requirement for kind of centralized brand or some centralized um, uh, kind of structure. So if, if you think of the cloud storage market today, um, there's basically these huge players that are the main cloud computing companies and nobody that's smaller than them can really truly compete with them um, because there's this kind of um, large scale kind of battle that gets gets played where um, for you to gain a customer, you have to basically beat the the best um, the best party. It's kind of the the same Airbnb style problem where you know before the Airbnb marketplace, um, if you wanted to rent out your room, you basically had to build out all of the infrastructure to do booking and to you know uh, create a the advertise your your room or whatever your house and there was like just just this big lift to be able to to use this resource. And so with um, kind of uh, with the same kind of sharing economy style uh, approach, by uh, concretizing the interactions in the market and by designing a protocol that, that enables them, uh, then you can bring in, then you can sort of level the playing field and make a network that together, where all parties together are providing a service that's you know as large and high quality and so on as the traditional centralized clouds, but it's sort of made up of a lot of small um, groups and small parties that are kind of acting together uh, to provide this large scale service. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the way that we build that is like a, a whole range of interesting uh, economic structures that are, you know, centered on the, the you know, uh, incentive structures of mining. So we, we um, weaved the mining process of um, a cryptocurrency consensus uh, into the storage market um, mechanisms so that um, we can sort of couple this this the structure where miners are reward are, are sort of uh, gaining power in the consensus and the and the network by providing uh, useful storage to the network um, and so you know you can think of measuring Bitcoin and so on in the, in the hash rate and and so on and all of that work is wasted uh, but in Falcoin the the work is measured in the kind of storage that you're providing to uh, to the network uh, and kind of like you can provide just capacity or you can provide useful verified uh, storage and that kind of counts for more um, and all of that together uh, represents your your power in the network and then your ability to win the block reward uh, which is you know super strong incentive to um, to kind of amass uh, a large network of participants uh, to join together into um, into a network so that's kind of uh, how Falcon works and and uh, what we are basically have now is this you know, fully um, autonomous, decentralized uh, storage network where anybody can show up to the network and offer to pay uh, cryptocurrency to have the network store their data. And the size here can be you know, small uh, amounts, like you know, kind of incremental data structure updates on a you know, standard web app style thing. It could be you know, smart contract data or kind of like... Um, Think of like or, like Oracle data and things like that, or um, uh, data large scale data sets that people are amassing, uh, and it can scale up to be you know all of the data that a particular company or or entity or government wants to keep around. Um, you know the the capacity in the, in the network is now just massive. Uh, we kind of grew way faster than we expected, and we ended up uh, just amassing this uh, 
amazing amount of, of capacity that now can be can power um, pretty much any application that, that we can think of um, can now kind of make use of this uh, this large scale uh, capacity. And so now the kind of the next stage is um, easing the use of this, like really getting the platform to be as easy to use as the traditional web two storage platforms. That's that's an area that is super active in development right now. There's um, five or six different teams working on different parts of this uh, to kind of like build better and better developer UX uh, type structures um, to you know kind of land on that. And so this whole year is sort of dedicated to um, easing the the uh, entry points for for clients. And now that we have this this large scale storage. Um, but there's like a very interesting sort of thing that I, I sort of expect to happen where, um, and, and this is something that uh, uh, one one group in, in the Falcon ecosystem uh, called Exile started pushing on, which is you can use Web3 native mechanisms to create a super strong incentive for uh, clients to come and join the network. Um, you can create auctions where clients can show up with like super valuable data sets and basically auction their the, the, their storage deal to the market, and then have miners bid on 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 that in, on on kind of winning that that uh, that contract, uh, and so you end up with a with a super different way of of doing things, but that can actually end up flowing economic benefits to uh, to the client. So we can we can drop down the the cost of storage to near zero um, or potentially even negative. So one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is the Falcon Network right now, at least for this year and likely for next year, uh, could end up in a um, spot like the kind of like negative oil prices where clients coming to the network in this early in these early days could actually get paid by the network uh, to adopt it because the you know kind of block reward incentive is just so powerful that uh, um, miners uh, might end up bidding for um, for those 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 data sets and so on so much that that instead of just dropping the cost to zero, they'll, they'll start paying clients, and like that's that's really shifting the mechanics and the uh, and the structure of how a, a process like this happens. And that's one of the areas where you know, thinking about it with a from a Web three standpoint, um, that's the kind of thing that is just not available to the standard Web two world, um, but suddenly becomes available in this in this Web three world because of the mechanisms that you can you can play with. Um, and so yeah, th there's like probably ten or twelve different ideas like that that I think are going to get experimented on. Uh, over the next few uh, few months, and I think you know, kind of by the end of the year, early next year, um, we'll have a bunch of like new, interesting primitives where it's not even it's not even kind of like reaching parity with Web two now. It's it's creating new kinds of ways to organize the the, the storage and, and distribution of of content. Yeah, I mean it's fascinating, and of course, when you start to think of data as a commodity uh, or as an asset, as a form of collateral, that opens up the whole of DeFi, right? And it'd be interesting to kind of hear some of the some of your thinking there, the possibilities. Yeah, so the, there's a super interesting connection between um, the storage market and the and the retrieval market. So these are two kind of the storage market is sort of the the problem of how do you store parties' content in the long term, and the retrieval market is how do you serve it to the users really quickly. Um, and, and when you couple these two markets with DeFi, you get super interesting uh, construction. So one of the things that's being discussed in, in a bunch of groups is, hey, if you if you could create a contract uh, where you can set the time instead of kind of it starting right now, you can set the, the contract that starts in in at some predefined time in the future, um, and you know you have a certain range of time and so on, and you can update that whatever you're going to put into that contract later, uh, you end up with kind of like a cloud storage future. Uh, which then ends up, you know, sort of really commoditizing the the cloud storage network, and then you can end up with, 
you know, um, drastically more price efficient ways of selling the, the, the storage space uh, into the into the network. So that's like one example of kind of taking all the, the DeFi kind of primitives and then coupling them to like a specific uh, kind of problem space. Another one of these is, hey, miners um, have a whole bunch of costs to get set up and, and set up an operation and so on. And, and a lot of their activity is uh, tracked directly in the network by, um, you, know, you can see the, you know, how well they're keeping the storage, how, you know, reachable they are, um, and so on. You can do all of these kinds of metrics uh, about miners and, and their operations. And so you, then you can start building kind of a, a distributed rating system or like a credit system of some sort where you can uh, kind of end up ranking miners for different kinds of features or different kinds of uh, possibilities. So then clients can can get like a verifiable um, uh, kind of trace of of um of kind of like different different miners uh interactions and whatnot um and then so that, that enables both like better interactions with the clients and then on the other side miners can also use that 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 ranking and that credit and so on in order to borrow um uh capital to expand their their operations right so they can kind of attract either investment from potential parties that can help them scale or even just borrow um from kind of like in a DeFi oriented way just Borrow at better rates, uh, and then that kind of like can give them a bunch of capital to to uh, to buy hardware, expand their operations, expand their facilities, pay labor costs, and and so on. And all of that kind of drops out of you know DeFi primitives. Um, and you know, I, I think like there's going to be a whole other wave of of uh, of different kind of like DeFi kinds of things when uh, you're also able to kind of um, really start start putting start concretizing all of the the kinds of interactions that parties in, in the kind of data storage world um, tend to do and make a verifiable um, a component that you can kind of put into, into a market. Uh, and you, if you have like a, like a standard contract structure for it, um, then all kinds of participants can, can trade around it and can, can um, uh, you, you can get a much more efficient, efficient sort of marketplace out of it. Um, so yeah, there's like a, a bunch of different kinds of things like this that are getting experimented with. And it's one of these areas where there are more interesting problems and and really good ideas and, and low hanging fruit than there are teams working on them. So you so you basically uh, every team is working at full capacity, try, like working on a bunch of these. And yet there are a bunch more as well. So this is like a like a super fertile ground for for people that are interested in this in the space to kind of uh, jump in and, and start building uh, different kinds of things and and kind of within six or twelve months deploy a, a pretty pretty interesting. A product or potentially even even faster yeah and you were hinting at you know the, the ownership component there you know how data can be collaboratively um shared consumed distributed stored owned I mean, you know there's kind of lots of work going on around data DAOs, data unions um so i think that's also really exciting space and of course like all of these things from the DeFi component through to data DAOs and, and ownership are all things we, we're going to hopefully be working with you on uh, in the ecosystem accelerator. I just want to talk to NFTs because I know this is this is perhaps broadened the kind of awareness around why something like you know IPFS and Filecoin are needed um, because it's kind of expanded the use case a little bit. Um, could you can you talk through some of the work or area of, I guess, uh, innovation and adoption you're seeing in the context of NFTs? Yeah, so um, you know it's exploding. So 
NFTs are what at the end of the day, what NFTs are, it's just a, a digital representation of property in with cryptographic mechanisms for trading and selling it and kind of managing it. And the mix with art um, is like as is one example use case of that. Um, and so it kind of kicked off, NFTs became like super useful for artists as a way to model their works and sell them. And kind of the interest around this started pushing the boundaries in all these systems and it created this explosion of, of art where suddenly there were tons of artists producing and selling um, their artworks and a lot of, in a much larger community, uh, kind of experiencing and consuming suddenly this, this super high quality, interesting art that wasn't getting produced otherwise or wasn't getting uh, distributed. And all of that storage, uh, so all of that art is usually, you know, this really high quality uh, imagery or video um, or potentially 3D environments um, that need to get hosted and distributed some, somewhere. And so at the beginning, like people were, were you know, a set of people that were kind of savvy and, and um, Web3 oriented uh, were, you know, started using FFS and things like that. Uh, other groups started using just standard cloud systems. And then you that kind of created this like problem of rug pulling, right? Like where if you use a standard Web2 <laughs> link, then people can go and change that link underneath the hood. Like this is exactly what IPFS is designed designed for. So you know, people started saying, you know, if if it's not an IPFS, it's not a your NFT, um, which is super uh, uh, super valid, right? Like if you, if people anybody can change the link underneath the hood, um, then you know it's not actually your your NFT, and 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 you know it's going to change at some point. Somebody else is going to uh, potentially do a rug pull or whatever. Um, so that started pushing people to, you know, that kind of problem and so on started pushing people to. Um, using IPFS for, for NFTs everywhere. Uh, and then there was this kind of like interesting um, developer experience problem around, hey, great. So we are using IPFS to model the NFTs, but we also want to kind of back them up to Falcon super, super efficiently and so on. Um, so it kind of opened up this, this space for kind of a developer-oriented service um, that, that you know, in the long run should be kind of like this fully decentralized protocol uh, and so on. But right now, it's sort of like a gateway, kind of what we were talking about at the beginning, this kind of progressive decentralization structure where, hey, you give people an API that they're, they're used to. Um, and this is a, a service that we, that we built called NFT.storage. That is now kind of the main way that uh, everybody's storing, um, storing NFTs now. Uh, you know, it's super fast growth. Like we, we shipped it in uh, you know, a few weeks ago and like now most of the platforms uh, are are using it and and uh, distributing all their backing up all their NFTs with it and and using them using NFT stores to to distribute the the content and that service kind of does the heavy lifting in kind of packaging all the NFTs um, backing them up into into Filecoin uh, and uh, and pinning services like there's a number of IPFS pinning services that um that that are, are helping operate this uh, one of them is, is Pinata um, and that kind of like is all taken care of in this backend sort of service. And this is exactly what I was meaning earlier. Like we need to be able to build stuff like that and immediately kind of just push it out into the network and decentralize it um, to, you know, as, as it's getting built. Um, there's a way of doing it in kind of like the hard, heavy lifting way, which is which we're doing now, which means for each one of these pieces, like think about the smart contracts and the economic mechanisms of how to do it and um, and so on. And so an FTO storage has like a path to a fully autonomous um, kind of DAO of sorts, um, uh, or it could be just like a program if like that other larger, uh, more scalable computing network uh, existed. And so that's sort of like where it is. But uh, the yeah, I, I think we've seen a ton of usage in um, you know very recently just coming from NFTs and people building higher and higher quality 
artwork, both in, you know, in 2D and 3D, um, and, you know, getting into fully immersive experiences, like some of the coolest NFT artwork that, I, that I'm seeing now, it's, it's like these fully immersive 3D worlds where you jump in and you, you're experiencing the, the world itself. It's not just a piece that you might hang in a wall and, or something like that, but it's like super high quality handcrafted uh, artwork as an experience. Uh, and I see this kind of thing just continuing to grow and, ex and, and explore different ways of interacting with, with this sort of content. And you want this stuff to be um, kind of backed up forever. And you want it to be um, kind of this public data kind of component where that data should be around, even if kind of the original artist uh, or the original platform that you bought the, the data in and so on is no longer around, right? You really want to be able to kind of model the movement of this data along with the, the kind of NFT um, uh, information in the chain. And this is you know, exactly what IPFS and, and Popcoin were designed for. And so it's been pretty, pretty great to see like that use case being, you know, kind of exploding really quickly and, and, and getting used, um, which, you know, wasn't quite possible in, in the web two world. Yeah. And of course, you know, NFTs, the, the range of use cases or application of NFT technology is expanding as well. So at the moment it's primarily art or collectibles, but of course it's expanding into gaming and all different kinds of experiential stuff in the context of the metaverse. But also, uh, I, I'm more than sure we're going to start to see income-bearing instruments in, in DeFi and stuff. So again, I think to kind of underline what you just said, it's almost limitless as to the possibilities. Um, so I think you know, just seeing how NFTs in this very narrow instance have leveraged what you built um, with Filecoin is really promising for the future network growth. Um, so Juan, it's been a real pleasure having you on. And what I would say to anybody that's listening, if you've been inspired by what Juan had to say, it's kind of sparked a thought as to a particular use case that you want to develop. Um, or you're already within the Filecoin ecosystem and, you know, you're looking for funding to go from proof of concept or, you know, something you've maybe done at Hackathon to a well-financed, high-growth startup, then make sure you reach out to us at Outlier Ventures and we'll definitely help. We'll look at that opportunity and hopefully together with Filecoin and Protocol Labs, we'll look to try to bring that to market and get you some financing. So really looking forward to collaborating with you on Accelerator and thanks for your time, Juan. Yeah, really looking forward to it as well. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited for the whole, all of what this year has to offer. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.